You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Let them go. Chapter 17 A Woman's Work Rifling through Dawson's trouser pockets, Rebecca found the three yellow cartridges and made her way swiftly through the hall to the master bedroom. Amanda? She called softly. Silence. She put her fingers down at the base of the doorframe, feeling a chill movement of wind and knew what would be on the other side. Retrieving the silver key, Rebecca slowly unlocked the door and let it swing open, knife and hammer at the ready. Nothing leapt out at her. The grey light was moving to blue, illuminating a scene of absolute devastation. The room had been turned over, the bed demolished, drawers snatched out and clothing scattered. Bedsheets lay strewn among the fragments of china vases and porcelain ornaments. The desk had been pulled to the ground and the inkwell had spilled its contents into the corner, creating a puddle of purest black. There was no sign of Amanda and the window had been forced open, the cold air prickling at Rebecca's hands and face. She turned and went down the stairs, listening all the while for the sounds of female barghast. Locating and reloading the fallen shotgun, Rebecca felt a tiny surge of confidence. She had a purpose now, grim though it may be. It did not make her happy, but it gave her a direction. A draft from behind the splayed curtains of the parlour revealed the window that had been eventually broken open by the male. It felt more suitable to consider them as male and female animals, like wolves or tigers. She had to block out all thoughts of who they had been or find herself unable to accomplish what she must. So no more Elsie, no more Amanda. And yet she could not deny the care with which the creature had taken to enter without injury. What had this infection done to both mind and body to produce such behaviour? Rebecca made her way past the ruined cellar door, unlocking the scullery. She cleaned the chunks of flesh and gore and bone fragments from her hammer and washed her hands, arms and face in the freezing water of the pump. She stopped in at the kitchen to pack some provisions from the food in Cleo's larder. Then she descended the cellar steps to retrieve more candles, which she placed in the knapsack. The room down there was in utter disarray. Furniture smashed, claw marks on the walls, workbench overturned. She paused before leaving as she reached the base of the steps, feeling something forgotten behind her. Rebecca made one final trip upstairs to her appointed bedroom. The travel bag she had brought to Ravenwood still sat upon the purple sheets. Rebecca reached in and found a familiar and beloved shape, examining it in the blue light. It was a lemonade bottle cork. Squeezing this precious artefact tightly, 
She went to put it in her knapsack, but spotted something new. A letter had been shoved under the flap of her bag. She retrieved it and read the unmistakable single word written in uneven calligraphy upon the front. Rebecca. Her fingers shaking, she prized it open and read. At the end of the letter, she stood stock still, unable to move forwards, unable to go back. That was until she saw movement through the window. There, far away along the lawn, at the edge of the forest, crouched a being still wearing Amanda's green dress. Gripping the shotgun, Rebecca turned and left the bedroom, made her way back down the stairs, exhaled with controlled force, and unlocked the front door. It opened up into a world of blue shadow. This was what the letter had said. Rebecca, I apologize for commanding you to get out so rudely. I have been gripped by a fairly powerful set of emotions and I do not know which way is up and which is down right now. My fingers dance of their own accord and I have been having thoughts that most would deem shockingly unsavory, but which for no reason at all sound appealing to me. Rebecca moved past dear fallen Cleo and paused to pay respects. In the knapsack nestled her aunt's shawl, a memento to keep her warm. I must confess, though, that while a delirium smears my mind, some of these impulses come from a place of truth. I recognize a deep and burning resentment that I have not to date acknowledged. And since I am feeling especially honest with myself, I shall take this time to divulge. I know you are in love with Rave. She reached his body and knelt down, laying her hand upon his back, not daring to look at his face. This man would remain in her mind the way he had lived. It feels so liberating just to say that. I have played the fool for almost two years now, and at first I mistook it for a protective response on your part. No suitor could be good enough for your perfect little sister. I observed how you two barely spoke in the first few months, and I foolishly deflected tensions, hoping you would both warm up. But when he spoke of you in private, it was only kindly and with concern. Something was not right about this disparity. Rebecca retrieved the two remaining buckshot cartridges from Rafe's coat pocket and swapped them for the chambered birdshot, all the while listening and watching for an ambush. In June, when we announced our renewed plans to have children, you could barely speak. And though you so skillfully hid your tears, I recognized the true romantic infatuation in your eyes. It was then that I realized that it had been there all along, in both of you. I simply had not wanted to see it. I was afraid of examining the reality because I knew where that path would lead. 
He loves me too, I have no doubt. But he has never looked at me in the same way, and I wanted that, with a jealousy I now find quite ugly. I needed to know why, but it feels like no explanation would be satisfactory. It is simply a fact we must all accept. Lifting his lantern, she set it aflame. Our entire lives you have taken care of this family, selflessly and diligently. And now, my dear sister, I must do the same. Replicating Rafe's stance of readiness, Rebecca moved towards the forest. I love Rafe and I love you far more than I love the idea of my own happiness. It scared me to confront this, just as it scared me to ever confront the two of you and find out if my suspicions were grounded. However, it appears that encountering a savage cannibal in the garden can do wonders for one's perspective on fear. She pressed through the trees, remembering every slope and root. Whatever happens to me, and provided that it makes both of you happy, I want you to be together. The rope swing hung where it always had. The hornbeam tree loomed empty over the great pit beneath. If I am in the grip of a brief spell and next week we can look back on this ordeal with laughter, then I shall be with you through our divorce proceedings and at every step of the way as you reforge a new marriage. One of truth and sincerity. What remained of their bower was a mess of sunken, mouldering wood. Rebecca paused as she observed this, hearing something scratching closer. If what is affecting my mind and body right now is something deadly to me, I want you to know that I go to heaven, or wheresoever else I travel. With a gladness in my heart. The light of the lantern cast a rich copper glow over the leaf-strewn ground as Rebecca turned about to head back east. Something drew her that way. Because if you two have one another, then I will have accomplished something with my selfish life worthy of St. Peter's book. A stick cracked and the thing that had been Elsie broke from behind an outcrop. Eyes flared, claws drawn back. Rebecca sidestepped, deftly planting her feet and steadying her aim with her lantern arm. The buggist saw the weapon raised and darted to one side, striking from a lower angle. Rebecca hopped backwards to land in a lower stance herself, repositioning the barrel with the unconscious elegance of a snake charmer, allowing her focus to mirror and react to her quarry, transcending intent. The movement and counter-movement had taken only a second, and she squeezed the first trigger decisively, compensating her arm for the kick the gun produced. <laughs> Elsie was flung backwards, a hole in her head. And if we are indeed parted, unorthodox though the saints may find it, I shall watch down upon you with only the fondest blessings. The body lay on its side, ginger frizzy hair askew, blood soaking into the dirt, its face a dismaying perversion of the one Rebecca knew. Without stopping to inspect it any further than to ensure that it was dead, she moved on, crossing the wild waters of the stream and venturing forth 
into that sacred place. You are going to be all right, my sister. She located the skeletal hollow log which had been Timothy's hiding place and stepped one foot up onto it, scanning the trees. Everything around her was silent, yet she could feel eyes upon her. With all the best wishes for your future I could possibly give. And then, Rebecca angled her sight upwards and stared straight into the boughs of the enormous oak bearing down upon the glade. Within its spidering branches was her sister, Mandy. She was at once beautiful and terrible. Her bare legs were braced in a crouch. Her naked feet, clutching at the mottled wood, kept her poised. Her back arched down, powerful shoulders flexed, lithe, muddy arms. And her face was upturned to gaze at Rebecca with fierce orange eyes. It was like nothing else but a jaguar in the form of a woman, sizing up her prey. Rebecca caught her breath and muttered three words. I found you. An age elapsed as the blue gave way to dawn and the sun began to emerge over the far distant hills. Rebecca did not move and neither did Amanda. She must do this. Why was she delaying? Every fiber of her being told her to kill. But this was her dear sister and she found that she could not. Rebecca lifted her foot and took the smallest step back, never moving her eye. Then, slowly, over the course of time, Rebecca drew away. Amanda in her tree grew smaller and smaller as Rebecca neared the stream until she was forced to watch her footing and cross. And when she glanced back, Amanda was gone.
just finished listening to Let Them Go, written, narrated, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Rebecca Wolverton, performed by Sharon Shaw. Amanda Culver, performed by Theo Lee. Cleo Spencer, performed by Loretta Saylor. Rafe Culver, performed by Spencer Lieb. Burwell Dawson, performed by Matthew Ramsey. Jane Wolverton, performed by Maureen Foley. William Smythe, Mr. Galloway, and Creature Sounds, performed by Matt Wardle. Timothy Wolverton, performed by Lyra Shaw. Elsie, performed by Debbie Morse. Polly, performed by Maya Santandria. Carruthers, performed by James Batchelor. Additional Voices, performed by Pascal Dooley, and Evan Pringle. Artwork by Antonio Torrezan. Medical Consultant, Doctor of Pharmacy, Lauren Grieve. Legal Consultant, Marguerite Kenner, LLB. Weapons Consultant, Matthew Ramsey. Force of Nature, composed and performed by Gavin Dunn, The Miracle of Sound, and sung by Sarah Murray. Meltdown and Tolling of the Bells, 
composed and performed by Gilhaim Steinberg. Black Light and Reverie, composed and performed by Ross Bugden. Satiate, Cambodian Odyssey, Winter Chimes, Long Note 2, Long Note 3, Dark Hallway, Ghost Apocalypse, Magic Forest, Promises to Keep, Ominous, Promising Relationship, Aftermath, Constance, The Chamber, Reign Supreme, Quinn's Song, Overheat, Seventh Seal, Low Note, Very Low Note, Gnarled Situation, Evening of Chaos, Come Play With Me, Giant Worm, Welcome to Horrorland, Medusa, Immersed, Vision of Persistence, Moonstone, Past the Edge, Dreamlike, Sapphire Isle, Parting of Ways, Ossuary, Thunder Dreams, and Vanishing, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. New Century is funded by our loyal supporters on Patreon. The story of this world continues in secret rooms. And Rebecca Wolverton will one day return. cellar, illuminated faintly by the light which crept in from the ruined doorway at the top of the stairs, the hatch stood open. 